0: Hello everyone, this is Rob. You are about to listen to Two by Guys, but first, I am excited again to announce that not only is the first half of this season of Two by Guys sponsored by Zencaster, but the second half as well. Zencaster is what I use to record the podcast since season three. It is an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. It records each person locally, then uploads the crystal clear audio and video Right into the sweep, so you have high quality raw materials to work with. I've talked a lot about that stuff in the past. I signed up for Zencaster before they were a sponsor of the show because of that, because they record each person locally and then upload it. I knew that that was quite important after doing it myself for the first couple seasons, and it has been so worth it. It really is crystal clear, and it sounds like we're in the same room, even sometimes when our internet connection isn't that great. Once I download the produced podcast, it sounds perfect because the lousy internet doesn't actually matter if you're recording locally. Not only can you get your recording done inside Zencaster, which isn't even an app, it's just a website, it's so easy to use and so easy to send to your podcast guests, but you can quickly and easily complete your post-production and have your transcript auto-generated for you. Zencaster is the modern web-based solution for the everyday and professional podcaster. I know a lot of you have used our discount code already, which is so awesome. I can't wait to see what people come out with, whether it's in this space of LGBT or bisexual interviews or something else. I highly recommend Zencaster for any of it. So go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the code to buy, guys, and you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com slash pricing promo code to buy guys for thirty percent off your first three months. It's time to share your story with Zencaster. Hello and welcome back to 2 Guys. We have part two of my interview with Mark Wilkinson today about the evolving use of the word bisexual from 1957 to 2017. If you missed the first half, go back and listen. It's fascinating. We talked about Mark's identity and how he got into this research, and we also talked about the use of the word bisexual from the 50s through the 70s. It was often used not the way we use it now. I mean, most often it was not used the way we use it now to describe a sexuality, but more often used to describe things like co-ed spaces or things like unisex items or like clothing or other things, or it was used to describe animals or organisms with characteristics of more than one gender, which we have different words for today, not bisexual. In today's episode, Mark is going to tell us about the use of the word from the 80s up until 2017. I hesitate to say up until today because a lot has happened since 2017. We talk a little about that at the end. But in the 80s and 90s, it really started to get used more the way we use it today, but for interesting reasons and not always great reasons. So you'll hear that. Before we get into it, I do just want to reiterate, since we kind of talked about this in the first episode, but I want to state it again. This is not an episode about the history of the bisexual movement. It is about the history of how the word was used in the British press. And Mark studied the British press as sort of a representative sample, but of course it doesn't represent everything. But it is useful to see how it changed over time in a society that is in some ways, culturally similar to ours. So this is not necessarily about how bisexual people represented themselves, I wanna make that clear, but it's about how the word bisexual is represented in mainstream culture. And often the people writing these articles or running the newspaper, probably more often than not, were not bisexual themselves. And also many of the people consuming this content, probably most people, we're not bisexual at the time or we're not out yet. So this isn't about the movement. It's about mainstream representation. But I do think there are really important implications based on how this word was used. It can help us understand biphobia and bi erasure and why there are so many misunderstandings and misconceptions from society when we come out as bisexual today. Because the history of the word influences how people hear that and receive it even today but we are not talking about actual bi or queer movements. We're not talking about the way things should be. We're talking about how bisexuality was framed more broadly on a cultural level and how it changed over time, often not to the benefit of the bi community. So I just wanted to state that and I wanted to remind you that we always have to remember who holds power in our society under capitalism. Journalism can be an agent of change, of course, But the Times of London, which is what Mark studied, is not necessarily an institution that's tearing down societal norms or advocating radical change. In fact, it's a bit right of center, which is why Mark chose it. Go back to the first part to to hear more about why he chose it. But it's an institution that's primarily upholding the status quo and reflecting dominant power structures. So I just wanted to frame this a little bit, frame part two, since since what we talked about in part one may have faded from your mind a little, I think this research is really important to understanding how people view bisexuality, where erasure and biphobia comes from, so it's really fascinating and important for us to understand, but it's not about our movement from the inside out, it's about other people looking at us from the outside, so I just wanted to frame that, and now enjoy part two of my interview with Mark Wilkinson.
1: And then moving on to the 80s, when you finally do, you have 92% of all usages of bisexual reference bisexual bisexuality as a sexual identity.
0: Okay, so we've gone from in the 60s, it's around 30%. In the Mm -hmm. 70s, it's around 66%, around two thirds. And Mm -hmm. then by the 80s, 92%, it's being used similarly to how it's used today.
1: Yeah, So yeah. That,
0: I knew that, you know, it didn't always mean this, but that's interesting to see exactly how it rose, you know, mm-hmm. through those decades. Um, okay. And then, but then go on, because I know there's some specific context to the 80s. And yeah. even though it's used more in the way it's used today, there's a specific reason for that. So
1: Yeah, it co-occurs almost simultaneously with the um, the rise of the HIV and AIDS epidemic. And so you find, like, so the the decade that I was looking at is 79 to 90, and I can see the dates, right? So, like, from about 82 or 83, when they first identify um, people with AIDS, uh, HIV and AIDS, in the UK, they start talking about, obviously, it's a pandemic. I mean, we're living through one right now. They're looking for sources right like where is this where's this disease coming from and of course as in the us and most of the world it was at the time especially it was associated with um uh quote unquote homosexual promiscuity but all of a sudden you have this um it almost becomes like like they become partners in crime like they're just always together they say homosexual and bisexual men homosexual and bisexual Mm -hmm. men homosexual and Mm -hmm. bisexual men and it becomes like this stock phrase you know and it's used um homosexuality is often uh used to explain the increase in infections and deaths within um gay men but bisexuality and bisexual people when it is used without outside of the, the the sort of stock phrase homosexual and bisexual men Bisexual is is bisexual people are described as like a vector of transmission, mm-hmm. right? Right. So it's like you have to be careful because there are these secret bisexuals everywhere who are having sex with men, contracting the HIV virus, and then spreading it to their partners or wives, families, etc. So it's a, it's a really really um, well, I mean, it's incredibly disturbing, right? That this is a kind of the way in which bisexuals sort of became. Um, concretized as a sexual identity was through the HIV and AIDS epidemic, right. or at least within the Times. That's not necessarily right. true everywhere, but at least within the Times.
0: Right, but your your sort of thesis of this research is that the Times is kind of reflective in some way of the overall culture. And, and you wrote in the paper that the word bisexual in this era, half the time it was used in reference to the HIV AIDS crisis. So like... Mm-hmm. That's, that's quite a lot. I mean, I assume yeah. it went from, from almost zero in the 60s and 70s to half the uses are in reference yeah. to this pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah, over half, yeah.
0: Yeah. I also, I just found it so interesting now, living through this other pandemic. I mean, obviously a very different scenario because this one is transmitted in the air and not just sexually. But, you know, we're like, we're learning in this pandemic time, like we're learning new things about, the virus and we're learning a new language about the virus and like i've done so much research i never thought i would do of like how does this transmit and why and like where where does it transmit and it's interesting to look back at the word bisexual as like during the hiv aids crisis people were wondering oh gay men are getting this but then how are straight people getting this or how are women getting this mm-hmm. and the word bisexual it was sort of like technical answer to this logic problem, almost. Mm -hmm. Or that was how I saw it. It was like describing this behavior that leads to transmission. Very, Mm -hmm. like, technical thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, they were, like, considered a vector of disease. And that, that actually continues through until now. I think that there is still a sense in which, like, you know, bisexual people, when they're portrayed in media, maybe not so much now, but definitely throughout, um, for many years, were pro- portrayed as like promiscuous, right? Greedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They need to have lots of partners. Like they can't just sexual- settle on one gender. They have to have more than one gender, right? And a lot of this comes back to this idea that, you know, like you have these people who are spreading a virus because they're so sexually voracious. I mean, this is the right. way it was really represented in the times, right? Um, which is terrifying.
0: Yeah. and And most people alive today were alive... At this time. And so this exactly. was their, the first time they encountered this word for many people, you know, anyone who was born in like the 70s and or beyond, like it, it puts a lot of things in context and helps you mm-hmm. understand, especially why like anyone over 40 basically has to reframe what mm-hmm. bisexual means or or doesn't have to. But, it, you know, is in that mindset because that was their first, yeah. you know, the first yeah. time they heard it.
1: I mean on a personal note, you know, like I'm I'm a little bit older than you, I think. And so when I came out in like the it was like the early to mid 90s, like my mother was w- would have been terrified, right? Because like mm-hmm. like being gay was like not still a death sentence, but there was still such I mean there was like this this um connection between disease and sexual identity, mm-hmm. right? That took a long time to to wane, right? And I yep. should mention as well though, because I think that it's important that um it wasn't just bisexual people that w- were considered a vector. It was also of course intravenous drug users, um, prostitutes, but there's also a lot of talk mm-hmm. of Africans as well and Haitians. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like um racist representation as well. Like, you know, not only do you have like these promiscuous bisexual people, but also Haitians and Africans are going to give you AIDS as well. So don't go to Africa. Oh. Wow. Right. Yeah. Weird. It's really, really disturbing, really, because it yeah, was like fair. it wasn't instead of like now. And I think that we do have a little bit of it now in terms of like, you know, debates around who gets vaccinated and who doesn't. You know, like at the time, if you got AIDS, you were culpable for getting AIDS. Right. You were culpable mm-hmm. for having HIV. That was your fault. Right. You know, and like that's something that was very um, dangerous and I think had a lot of like negative consequences for bisexual people
0: yeah and because it's about this like choice of this homosexual lifestyle which Mm -hmm. you wrote about in there and like and it's more about the act of gay sex than your identity or you know what i view queerness as is like an open-mindedness open-mindedness or rebellion against heteronormativity or you Mm -hmm. know pushing pushing back against norms whereas Mm -hmm. at this time it's like portrayed as like this sort of selfish choice to have gay sex and spread a disease. Very kind of binary way of thinking.
1: Mm -hmm. Which is why, you know, Reagan, Reagan took longer to act, but Thatcher took years to act as well. You know, they were like, well, we're not going to help these people because they brought it on themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. You
1: know, like it wasn't until it was really like that um, transmission had really taken off within the heterosexual population that then you started to have um, government responses to the pandemic.
0: Yeah. And it's also just interesting, this context, because like, you know, you did come out in the 90s. I didn't come out till way later in life. I grew, I was born in 85. And so I grew up at like, the tail end of this. And it kind of makes me think, no wonder I didn't come out, because probably most of the Mm -hmm. time I heard these words, especially by which might have applied to me, you know, it was about this AIDS crisis and this pandemic and not portrayed as a positive thing to aspire to. And so no wonder I just kind of pushed it out and never even really seriously considered it until Mm -hmm. I was 30. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah. exactly. I mean, that's the thing with representation. That's sort of the point of the whole project, not just um, the analysis of bisexuality, but the analysis of, of all sexual identities is that the ways in which they are represented have a significant impact on the ways in which they are, people are treated um the access that they have to things like healthcare, housing, um, employment, mm-hmm. etc. Right? Like they're the, yeah. so the the Times, I think, um well, I don't want to get in trouble for libel, but you know that there are certain <laughs> there are certain um articles which which would be culpable for people's prejudices.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the next uh, decade. Are we ready? Yes. So the 90s ready. up until
1: 2003. Yeah, so then it becomes a little bit like this is sort of contemporary, right? You mm-hmm. know, um in the sense that I think that there's a lot of similarities between the 90s and the early 2000s. But in the in England they would call it the noughties, right, which I always <laughs> <thought>. Um <laughs> <laughs> so basically between during this time, there is what what I noticed most of all was that of course there's a, a significant increase in the amount of um, the amount of representation, right? So like you start to have, I mean, it was already at 92 percent. So we can assume that from from 90, 91 to 2003 and from 2004 to 2017, then uh, it would have probably been 100% of the time, or near 100% of the time, it would have referred to sexual identity. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two things that are really relevant in this period, and the first one is that, um, and I would I would kind of like collapse the two decades together, like I was saying, right? The 90s and the er- and the early early 2000s is that mm-hmm. you tend the majority of discussion of of bisexual people that exist right that aren't characters in film television and theater um the software that i have you can look at the um, language patterns as i was saying right so you can see that one of the most common words that goes with bisexual is the historical past was or were Mm -hmm. so most people are described as i they were bisexual i was bisexual and so there's this sense in which um bisexuality is temporarily displaced right like and there's this and i think that this is something that people still have a hard time wrapping their heads around they're like how can you be bisexual if you're married to a woman mm-hmm. or how can you if you're if you're a cis man married to a cis woman or how can you be bisexual if you're a cis woman married to a cis man Right, because there's this assumption that in order to be bisexual, you would have to be polyamorous, right, mm-hmm. and having relationships with multiple genders at all times. And so right. you see that when they do talk about people who were considered, um, who who they acknowledged were bisexual, um, for instance, uh, I have here they're talking about Leonardo da Vinci, um, the Gales, Lord Byron's sister, etc. For each one, they would say. Um, they were bisexual. Now they're of course dead, right? But then they do talk about people that are alive as well, um, and they as well would say, you know, that um, like there's a, I can't remember who it was, but it was a a, a um, celebrity, and she's like, oh, when my when I have grandkids, I'll tell them about how I was bisexual. Interesting, right? So it's considered not only that it can't be taking place at one time, like but it also is a phase. So right. it discredits mm. the identity, right? You know, like you have like, right. and this is an era when especially gay men and lesbians start to become really accepted, right? Um, or at least represented as being accepted. Um, obviously um, healthcare, housing, all of these things are still a struggle for a lot of um, uh, lesbian and gay men. But when it came to bisexuality, it was still represented as as a phase, or mm-hmm. as a um something that i used to be bisexual um but i'm not anymore right. because i can't be because i can't be with both genders at the time at the same time or i'm not with both right. genders at the same time so that's one of the main findings
0: that's really it's that's it's just so interesting that it's like seen as without even using the word phase necessarily how the the language and the grammar makes you think that anyway mm-hmm. by putting it in the past and by like oh it's it's got to be about like your current activities or your lifestyle as opposed to the identity right so mm-hmm. it, so it erases the the way we think of it now i mean we i i like to use robin oak's definition is it's about the possibility or the you know mm-hmm. the the um potential inside of a person as an identity, you know, that, and that's a potential doesn't always go away. It can be there even if you're married and monogamous. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that sort of Robin Oaks definition is clearly a pushback to this kind of use of making it a lifestyle or a, a thing that has to be happening right now actively. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's just very interesting. It's
1: interesting. Yeah, I know. And I fi- I finally found a, a, a percentage here. It's 60, 67% of the examples discussing bisexuality or bisexual individuals occurred within um, discourses of the past. So they were were preceded by was or were.
0: Wow. So like two thirds. Wow. Yeah. 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 So Um, they
1: may, there may have been some uh, occasions where they said they are bisexual, but not, not very many, not very many mm -hmm. at all. So that was the, the sort of the main finding for the latter years. And then also that, throughout all 60 years of the corpus the majority of representation of bisexual people is and i've mentioned this several times is in the review section Mm -hmm. so you are bisexuality is represented as either being fictional or as not existing in the present right you know and this is not something that i have found myself i mean there's been lots of research done on this like um uh duplessis um, um a couple of, of other scholars who I cite at the end of the the paper, that they have all argued this, that, you know, that, that there is a displacement, a temporal displacement and a fictional displacement. You don't exist in the pre- present. You don't exist in reality. Uh,
0: in reality. In reality, <laughs> in reality right. You, you're fi- you're fictional and, or in the past, right. and But there's yeah. no like re- real live bisexual people here right now. Yeah. And it's interesting because nobody's saying that directly, but that's what the language is sort of Mm -hmm. telling us subconsciously or, you know, of course,
1: of course. And then the final thing that I was going to say is that in, we start to see it in coverage of the HIV and AIDS epidemic or pandemic is that they, um, the the collocation and collocation means two words that go together. So the ways in which they, it was gay or homosexual and bisexual, or it was connected by a comma or a slash, kind of collapsed bisexuals within like the umbrella of homosexuality, right? Yeah. And then once you get into the 2000s and we have this new abbreviation, LGBT, right, which is supposed to be inclus- inclusive, I think to a certain extent, and, you know, I think that, um, Uh, Shiri Eisner put it really well in her book, um, Bisexual Revolution, when she talks about GGGG, right? Like it's just gay, 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 and gay, right? Like we're supposed (laughs) to believe that it's LGBT, but it's really, it's usually talking about white, middle-class, cisgender men, Uh and and lesbians often, but even that, not not very often. It's usually just talking about white guys, Mm -hmm. right? And so the thing is, is that, again, you know, you finally have this sort of... um, uh, Inclusion—that it's—we're supposed to see it um, through as as uh, as representing this this opportunity to include four different identities, but only four because <laughs> for a while until they start adding extra letters. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's erasure through conflation. It's conflating all of these identities and it's not actually allowing for representation and bisexual, bisexual people and bisexuality is still probably one of the least represented of the sexual identities that are most commonly covered in the times.
0: Right. Despite actually being one of the most common words that people within the community identify with Uh, the recent studies Show that about half of the LGBT community will use the the B, mm-hmm. which is which is interesting that it's then half the time in this era we don't just talk about the B half the time bisexual is used it's in that acronym lesbian gay bisexual transgender yeah so yeah yeah
1: it was it was well over half of the occurrences. Oh wow. Like well over half. I'm not sure I'm sure if I can find the exact percentage, but the point being that yeah. And it's and it's the same argument that's been made about other identities within the LGBT acronym or LGBTQI or anything. It's like is it really useful to have the the acronym or the abbreviation? Good question. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it is. I think that again it goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning of the discussion, which is that Right you know strategic essentialism it's like saying like okay like we need to say that we are a community with a a shared history to a certain extent and shared political goals in order to achieve some sort of recognition access etc but the thing is that ultimately you know it doesn't really fulfill its promise right
0: right right it has it has that political upside but then it also has this erasing of the individual identities mm-hmm. within it and so it's a double-edged sword,
1: in a way. Exactly. The final thing that, th- to say is that, of course, the sort of epilogue to all of this is that in the in this ends in 2017. So it's interesting okay. that I would I would imagine that it's probably increased. And I teach young people, so sort of between um, like 17, 18 into their mid 20s, usually. Um, and there has been a move away from the use of bisexual because there are young people who feel that it reifies the gender binary Mm -hmm. bi implies binary. So it doesn't imply more like plurisexual identity that, you know, you're interested in more than one gender, right. As opposed to like. Like plurisexual as opposed to monosexual, like heterosexual or, or homosexual. Um, and so you start to see an increase in the use of the term pansexual. And that's where the paper ends is that in the t- 2017, it's going up, like from like 2014, it appears and then it starts to increase and increase and increase up until 2017. And I don't yeah. know what's happened since then because I haven't had time to go back and look. But. Right. I think that a lot of people have pushed back on this. I think it would be interesting to hear your perspective as well, because I think that, you know, a lot of bisexual people are like, that's what it's always meant. Like it's always meant more than one gender, not only two.
0: Right. right. But I
1: think that some young younger people without necessarily knowing the history, which is no fault of their own. Well, not necessarily any fault of their own, just don't know the history of bisexuality and, and the, the, organizing and the um, the affordances that this term has provided to people who are interested in more than one gender.
0: Yeah, no, actually, this was my going to be my next question to you, because it's at the end of this paper. And it, and it is something we talk about a ton on here, yeah. because it comes up a lot on Twitter and at my bi meetings in New York City, like constantly we're doing this bi versus pan thing. And I have a lot of thoughts on it, and um, like I do wonder if that if it's a useful debate or not. I'm curious what you think because, right? Like to me, yeah, okay. Bi means two, so bisexual could mean two, and that could uphold the gender binary in a in a semantic way, right? And if you don't mm-hmm. know the history of it. You would think that. And so that totally makes sense to gravitate toward pansexual. And I do identify as pansexual and bisexual because mm-hmm. they both essentially are overlapping to me. But then I, you know, when I went to these meetings and met by people, and especially met by people who are older than me who have been identifying that way for a while or know other bisexual people in the 70s, 80s, 90s,
1: mm-hmm.
0: almost all of them view bisexuality as um, non-binary to just men and women. Almost mm-hmm. everyone I've met has attractions to more than one gender and not only two. I mean, I've met, mm-hmm. a, have met the people I've met who say I'm only attracted to men and women and not trans or non-binary people is a I I can count them on my hand and multiple of them have later changed their mind on that. Mm-hmm. I even know mm-hmm. one person who, who thought that who said that to me and now they identify as non-binary or trans themselves. Mm. Um, So I don't know, like I I don't really know what the answer is. I mean, my my personal answer is to just talk about it and talk about the fact that I identify as bi and pan and to me they're overlapping, Mm -hmm. but it is like this interesting semantic issue of, yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think is, I guess it goes back to the same thing we're talking about of like, when it's useful to differentiate and when it's useful to come together. Although in this case, I'm like, is the differentiation useful because it's based on a semantics thing that isn't actually the reality of the bi community?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's really key is that uh, that people realize that bi bisexual doesn't reference necessarily the binary it doesn't reify the binary you know what reifies the binary like patriarchy reifies the binary yeah like, right <laughs> like right it's like when like this happens a lot in the uk like like you'll get like like articles in the times where people are having a like a connection fit because like a, a trans model has gone lip filler and they're like oh well she's upholding like you know, like these stereotypes and these gender norms. And it's like, no, like the trans community is not responsible for that. Like we know who's responsible Mm -hmm. for that. So it's like this weird kind of like um, placing like a lot of responsibility and a lot of pressure on a word and an identity. Mm -hmm. I would say that, I mean, I'm kind of like, ideally, like, like an abolitionist in the sense that like, I'm not sure that moving forward, I think for, for the time being, yes, having, having distinctions is, is perhaps useful. but I think that in the long term, I, I think you see it happening already instead of people saying LGBTQI just saying queer right? like kind of collapsing a lot of these things because you know so many, especially working with young people, like I know so many people that like their their sexual identity is so for lack of a better term com- complex compared to mine that like like there's not a single word. and if they do have a word, it's like a series of words, you know like I'm I'm non-binary pansexual yada yada and it's like well like you know is it useful to have those terms and I don't know if it divides or if, if, if it brings people together and I think that ultimately right. it comes back to this question of you know neoliberal identity politics it's like are we trying to achieve representation so that we can have access to pre-existing institutions like like um, recognition of our of our romantic relationships, etc, or do we just want to dismantle the entire thing? Like imagine right. a world right. where sexual identity is not based on which gender you're interested in, but like what you're into, you know what I mean right. like it could right. be anything, you know like like we we accept it and this is the point also, and this is very theoretical, so I won't go into it too much, but like we accept so many things as being just common sense. But they're like, so the idea of like a gender binary and being attracted to one gender or another or, or both genders. But like, that is the product of the Enlightenment, probably going back to the Renaissance, you know, like they, they, we've had so many different ways of understanding gender and sexuality, not just in the West, but also throughout the world, that it could come to a point where we don't really need them anymore, you know, and we can right. move beyond it. And I think that yeah. what everybody needs. Is a different political and economic settlement so that we can address things like climate change, that we can address things like healthcare and education and housing. And I'm not sure that like kind of the arguing about semantics will get us there.
0: Yeah. You know? I couldn't agree more. It's it's funny. i I was just talking to the guy who created this app called Hetero, that is an app to connect based on a mutual interest in oral sex Mm -hmm. and there's no sexuality labels you you there are gender labels and then you can say what genders you're interested in but there's no like label for gay let bisexual lesbian it's just a like you said let's connect based on what we're into um and that why that could be the future like why is everything in our entire like i'm a Bi white Jewish man, like why is the bi part? Because I'm of the gender I'm attracted to, like such an important identifier. Exactly. My, my, I mean, in the in the queer utopia future, that's a rhetorical question. It shouldn't be in yeah. the present. I do identify as bi because yeah. I want to knock people out of the binary way of thinking because I was trapped in it for so long and I didn't see sexual fluidity as an option. And Mm -hmm. so to me, my bi identity is my way to, to represent sexual fluidity and to, Mm -hmm. you know, put that out there. Um, But, but then it's like the bi pan thing. If you want to do that with the word bi, if you want to do that with the word pan, because that makes more sense to you fine. Like that's seems very like, of the moment all of these words and all of these debates and it's based on like what the status quo is or what pan people what do we think by means oh i i don't want to mean that but the goal as you're saying of all of that to me is to get to the united place of yeah queer of queerness and of then taking it to the next level and you know like yes, our individual identities are important, but our collective oppression and and pushing back against it is much more important because yes. there's so many people who can't fight back against this stuff, and we need to really radically change things, and mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. about sexual identity, but climate change and systems of government and like exactly representation. Exactly. So so I do think it's like I, I'm kind of ready to get past this bi versus pan thing, but at the same time it is the entry point for many people into queerness. And Mm -hmm. to get to identifying as queer, we have to be kind of specific at first sometimes and help people feel comfortable kind of joining the cause.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really nice way to kind of sum it up. Absolutely. I think that, um, there's a really good book um called the Transgender Issue and it's written from the perspective of um the u k. It's written by an author named sean Fay. and she talks about it's sort of a play on like the idea of like the transgender issue because there's this big debate in the u k about like um uh female only spaces et cetera et cetera and ultimately what she says is like you know, it's not necessarily about trans rights it's about like demands for a socialism wherein, like, there are, like, if you have women's refuges, there's enough women's refuges that, like, solving the problem of having enough spaces of safety would eliminate the problem of, like, scarcity and people being like, well, you know, there's not enough spaces and now we have people who identify as female that weren't born female. You you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, like, you need to look at, like, greater structures of oppression and then think about how, how perhaps paying attention to things like, like sexual, like, like the semantics are not the most important thing. Right. It's, it's, it's thinking about, you know, transformational politics and, and a radical new future.
0: Lovely. I love it. Um, (laughs) Well, I could ask you a million more questions and maybe uh, I'll have you come back uh, as you continue working on your PhD. I would love to. Thank you so much, Mark. Your research is really interesting and helps put a lot of stuff that we've talked about here into some really good context. And I'm I'm really glad you did that research and good luck with the rest of what you're doing and your PhD. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And thank you so much for having me. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm really honored to be on it. Like, I feel really cool.
0: Thank you so much. (laughs) It was great. It was great to have you in chat. Thanks for being here, Mark.
1: Thank you. And I will see you again soon, I hope.
0: Yes, keep us posted on some any new developments, especially if you uh, study what's going on even more recently, because it's you have to separate the eras into like a couple years because it's changing very fast. It seems exactly,
1: exactly. By
0: (laughs) by next season of two bye guys, the word bisexual could mean a totally new thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope so. So I have something to write about. Yeah, exactly. Keep me out of trouble.
0: All right. Thanks again, Mark. It was great to have you. Thank
1: you. Have a great day. Bye.
0: Two by Guys is edited and produced by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our music is by Ross Mincer, our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman, and we are supported by the Gotham, formerly IFP. Thanks for listening to Two by Guys.